Hey, what's up? I'm Vanessa. I'm Mary. I'm Gillian. I'm Rukka, and this is the very latest episode of the Full Full Intemps podcast. Your go-to place for relatable content for the African diaspora down under. The black of the podcast, the sweet of the bands. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. So today, getting straight into it, we've got a very special guest. Yes, yes we do. We've got the lovely Ula from down in Melbourne. Yes. A uh, pelvic hey. therapist who specialises in specialize in pelvic health correct yep yeah so to start us off how did you end up getting into your field uh yeah so basically I guess um just like anyone growing up um I had no idea what I wanted to do and physio seemed pretty fun um so yeah, it's just I randomly ended up in one of those uni lectures that they have during lunchtime of where do you want, what do you want to do with your career? And um, physio was the one that my friend dragged me to. And I thought, yeah. you know what, this sounds like something I'd be interested in. It seemed pretty fun. Um, it seemed really flexible. So lots of different areas that you can go into and it meant that I wasn't going to be stuck in an office, which was sort of my number one priority looking for a career. Um, so I thought, why not jump into it? Oh, it's- sick. And how did you wind up specialising in like women's women's pelvic health? Yeah, I think um, a big part of it was just sort of um, being my career, I was sort of working as a musculoskeletal physio. So that's sort of your general physio that you see private practice down the road, treating sort of your back pains, your neck pains, treating those people with rolled ankles, you know, weekend sporting injuries, what have you. Um, and then I sort of got really bored of doing that. I felt like I was seeing the same patients all the time and um, I felt like I wasn't seeing anyone from my community, which is really why I went into health in the first place was because I really felt like I'd be able to help people and, you know, I definitely wanted to be able to help my community, but I definitely wasn't seeing um, seeing them walk through the door and they weren't sort of the main demographic. And so I guess I was sort of at this crossroads in my career of going, how am I going to give back to my, my community, not just in, you know, as a healthcare worker in general. Um, and also was looking for a bit more of a creative outlet. I sort of was a bit over just seeing one patient through the door one after the other. Um, and then I just realised that maybe a space that I could fill would be something to do with women and, and sort of empowering them. And how can I sort of find a bridge between what I do as a physiotherapist, but also help women that are like me and from my sort of background and my culture. Um, and women's health sort of seemed to be the place where I thought there was the greatest gap because I just sort of realised that slowly but surely there's so much information out there and there's so much that a physio can do or a pelvic health physio in particular can do for women and women in the community. Um, but at the same time, that gap from them being able to access that or know about those services and sort of that's, I guess, where I thought I could make the biggest difference and what drove me to women's health and pelvic health in general. That's amazing. Mm. What is a pelvic health physiotherapist like how would you explain that to someone who has no idea yeah so basically the way that I describe pelvic health physio and look it's not necessarily just about women it does um, involve you know treating children treating males as well Um, you can sort of pick where you specialize within that field as well but generally the way that I describe it to people is pretty much as a pelvic health physio we pretty much treat everything between your boobs and 
your thighs um, and the whole way down. So I think a lot of people sort of think that pelvic physio is just about your pelvic floor and it's so much more than that. We, you know, as a pelvic physio, I see women treating sort of their nipples and their breast concerns throughout sort of breastfeeding. Um, You know, we treat sort of any abdominal separation that women might experience or men for that example might experience from, um, you know, the main one is obviously after having children, but also from exercising or, um, you know, quite significant changes in weight can result in that separation. And then we treat everything sort of between your thighs around um, your pelvic floor function, your bladder function, your bowel function, um, and any pain around that pelvic region, lower back region as well. So it's really broad um, and it's definitely a lot more than just your pelvic floor. That's really interesting. Oh, sorry, Gillian. Oh, no, because I only knew about it, um, a pelvic health um, physiotherapist, once I, you know, got pregnant, had a baby. So that's when I really um, was aware of the pelvic floor and what the damages (laughs) a baby does to, to it. So I was wondering, like, when else would you really be aware or when would you start seeing one? Cause that's the only time I really was exposed to mm-hmm. your stuff. And I actually went and was looking around and looking for like exercises and I stumbled across your Instagram. I'm like, this is perfect. So, yeah. but apart from that, when else <laughs> you say that people would um, look for, for your services? Yeah, so I guess um, it's pretty much you might go and see pelvic floor physio for toilet training your child. So it starts really, really early on why someone might have contact with a pelvic floor physio. Um, You know, oftentimes we deal with a lot of children with special needs that have problems with toileting and um, things like that as well, bedwetters. So really early on, you definitely might have contact or be directed towards a pelvic floor physio, either for yourself as a child or a young adolescent. Um, but also, you know, as a parent who might be seeking help for their child. Um, another age where you might see a pelvic floor physio will be um, potentially um, during when you get your period. So as a, as a female um, in your teens, potentially, if you're having any issues with your period. So lots of heavy bleeding, lots of pain. Um, you might be seeing someone there for some sort of treatment and management. Um, definitely, you know, people seeing pelvic physios for things like treated polycystic ovary syndromes, endometriosis fibroids within the um within the pelvic region anything like that that might be causing issues with you know um your periods or any pelvic pain um we see plenty of women as well with sexual pain so if you're having any pain with intimacy um you know we definitely treat lots of that as well um and then of course treating women prenatally and postnatally for any of their sort of pregnancy um and postnatal care needs and then definitely sort of later on in life with anyone that might be experiencing anything during menopause um, and pelvic physio see guys as well. So I think that's the other main thing as well is if any guys that are having any pain or discomfort, um, you know, with any of their sort of with erection, with going to the toilets, um, you know, particularly with anyone that might have experienced any um prostate cancer a lot of them will be referred to go and see a pelvic floor physio as well um, either prior or post any procedures so it's super broad um, and like I said there's so many different reasons why you might sort of come across one in your life. So to access you do we have to first go and see our GP because I'm just trying to understand like yeah you've mentioned all these things and I'm just like damn I needed you when I was 17 Mm -hmm. but like how am I supposed how how are people supposed to know how to access you or yeah 
that you provide? Yeah, absolutely. So in general, it's just like any other physio clinic. You don't need to get a specific referral to come and um, see a pelvic floor physio. It's just like walking through the door to go and book in a session with any other physio. Um, There is definitely ways that you can go through your GP. So your GP might refer you depending on some of the things that you've described um, as well as any specialists as well. We get lots of specialists that sort of send people through. So any guy, you know, work with lots of gynecologists, obstetricians, um, you know, specialists to do with your bladder, specialists to do with your bowels. So um, there's definitely a lot of different pathways. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just education. People don't know that this service is available to them and that they can just freely access it and that there's help for a lot of the things that they're experiencing. Um, and so I think that's really what drove me to sort of go to it is because I realised there's such a massive scope to help people and really change their lives. Like you can imagine there are people that, you know, experiencing incontinence, both feet equal incontinence as well as bladder incontinence and they suffer in silence not realizing that there's actually someone that can help them but also women not knowing that you know they can go and see someone during their pregnancy to help educate them about their body to help make decisions informed decisions about the kind of birth they want to have as well um you know one thing that i think a lot of women don't even realize what we do or one of the things that we do um is that we can actually assess your risk of tearing during a pregnancy and during your birth no you know because there are yeah, well, there are yeah, there are actual like um, tests that we do that based on measurements around sort of the vaginal openings and so forth, your ability to push um, and sort of give you an idea of whether you have a, a risk of of tearing and and what your potential risks are of things like of developing a prolapse and so forth. How do you close the gap? Because like, yes, we're young and we have access to Instagram, but what about the aunties, the ones who are going through menopause and whatnot? Yeah. How find you and access you? Because legit, like, I didn't know that you could go to the physio, like you could walk in to see the physio. I thought you had to get a referral from your GP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the idea is like get as much knowledge out there to as many people as you can. Like you can't reach everyone, but if you, the amount of people that I've had reach out to me that have sort of gone, oh, my sister or my cousin or my friend told me that you run this page, um, you know, DMing me, asking me questions, and it was really just through that word of mouth of the one person that they had that um, that had just come across my page. And they might not have needed it because they might have been in that bracket where they haven't had children or they haven't had any sort of major concerns where they've needed to seek help. But they've been able to sort of have that conversation or were having that conversation with their friend. And someone's like, oh, by the way, I went and saw a physio for this. Or by the way, did you know that this exists? Um, and I think that's really why I sort of want to get that platform out there somehow to just get that information for people to know not necessarily to come and see me because there are so many pelvic floor physios out there Mm. um it's literally just know that this is available to you so that you can then make an informed decision about your health care because I think sometimes we forget within health is that we're our number one advocate um that even if you sort of go to your doctor and you say no this is what's happening to me I know this isn't right I want you to find someone to send me to um because a lot of the time a lot of people fall through the cracks because we assume particularly I don't know about you guys and it's probably the same boat but I find just you know in my household within my family whatever the doctor says is you know that's that's they know everything and it's really you know about your body better than anyone ever will and you have to be a number one advocate but the only way you can do that is with 
education and knowledge of what's out there and and sort of you know what's accessible to you and, and going out and looking for it wow okay can I just ask it's it's a pretty much just a question for me and the mothers out there because just backtracking you said that um part of um what you guys do is like assess whether you'll tear and things like that so if that's the case and you do the assessment and then it seems like this person will be likely that they'll tear is it that you suggest that they get an episiotomy or do you just do like exercises or something like how would you go yeah. about so I guess the main thing is, is I'm not sitting here making a recommendation for anything because your caregiver, whether it's your obstetrician or whether it's your midwife, midwife is your primary carer in terms of um, your birth and your child's birth. But I think what it is, is that we'll make sure that you have all the information, that you understand what your risk is of tearing and having an uncontrolled tear, that you understand what an episiotomy is, because most women won't know what an episiotomy is until they've had one. Mm-hmm. Um you know, an understanding sort of, you know, whether you have a choice around, you know, what is the order that you want to have your birth in? Do you want forceps involved? Do you want a vacuum involved? At what point do you want intervention to happen? Um, and making sure that someone's had all of these discussions with you um, so that you can then go to your caregiver, your primary caregiver, and tell them what you want done. And I think that's really what, you know, an informed choice and informed consent is about is that you have the information. We try and give you as much of that information based on what we assess, what we see, um, you know, and and sort of go from there in terms of taking that information and making sure that either you're advocating for it or have someone in the room with you that when you're giving birth is able to advocate for you. Wow, that's really interesting. Oh, one, sorry, sorry another question. Which no. is all our personal <laughs> problem. Just an assessment over the podcast. So just um, with a pelvic separation as well, uh, pelvic, sorry, abdominal se- separation as well, is it ever too late to kind of start those exercises or get it joined back together? Or like, is it like once you've had four kids, it's like, oh, pretty much, babes, it's not going to work <laughs> yeah. Or like w- what would you suggest for someone that's either like in a in the state where they think oh my gosh it's like too far gone like yeah yeah is there such thing as that or what is what does that feel like what is pelvic separation you want to feel it no but I'm actually interested she can do an assessment oh, yeah wow. yeah so basically in terms of abdominal separation I think um another important misconception is that Um, to find out and realise that actually 100% of women will have separation during their pregnancy because it needs to happen in order for your tummy to grow. Your muscles need to move out of the way. Um, And basically what is actually happening with that um, is that the muscles themselves aren't separating. It's just that in the middle of your six pack, you've got a tissue or a connective tissue line and that sort of just stretches during your pregnancy so that your muscles move out of the way. Um, and then what ends up happening is ideally after birth, um, that tissue, just like any elastic band, if you've stretched it, you want it to recoil back as close together as it can get. Um, and how much that recoils, um, there are a lot of factors that are out of your control. Um, and those factors are probably not that greatly researched but we definitely know that sort of after your second baby you're probably going to stretch a little bit more than you did after the first and so forth on consecutive babies the size of your baby as well so if you've had a larger baby you've obviously had to carry more so you separate more um 
and so forth. So lots of factors that you can't control, but things that you can do are things like exercising during your pregnancy. We want to make sure that you're still exercising your abdominal muscles during your pregnancy if you're able to and it's safe for you to do so. There's definitely ways that and exercises that you can do to try and make sure that you're getting those muscles as, as optimal as you can for after you give birth and that recovery. In terms of what happens then once you give birth is, like I said, that's going to depend for woman to woman how much she sort of comes back together. And some come back completely together and others sort of have a level of stretch and laxity in that tissue. But the most important thing to know is while sort of in that first six months, you have the greatest improvement absolutely in that tissue. After that six months, while you might not be able to make the greatest difference necessarily on the connective tissue itself, you can absolutely for the rest of your life at any point in your life, exercise and strengthen those muscles and make them a lot more functionally stronger. The gap itself might not necessarily completely go away but you can still have a six pack with a slight gap in the middle like Kelly Rowland is actually like the most beautiful example of that who she's experienced an abdominal separation even with the birth of her recent child still has a level of separation but has absolutely got a you know a ripping six pack at the same time and so I think it's really important to realize that you can absolutely tone those muscles and it's never too late to start doing that it is sometimes just a little bit more difficult depending on the way you're able to recruit those muscles um, and finding the right exercises for you so it really is in a one sort of size fits all when it comes to your abdominal separation your recovery but um but yeah you can definitely work for that six pack if that's what you're looking for with the um vaginal tearing it's how do you do you simply say yeah like pum pum too tight you guys, <laughs> <it's> gonna, <laughs> or is it like is there if you do have a risk of vaginal tearing is there hope of being like we can do something mm to make sure you don't tear as much um, because, oh, well, you know, you too much risk, you might as well have a C-section. Yeah, a perineal massage is the number one thing we do. So if we find anyone that's sort of on that, um, I guess, risk of tearing because, you know, their muscles are slightly tighter or um, just because of the sort of anatomy of their vaginal wall or, or whatever it might be, um, we pretty much get them into what we call perineal massage, which is every single day working through massaging that tissue, trying to make it as, you know, a little bit looser, a little bit um, less sort of sensitive to pressure um, to try and sort of... Um, reduce that risk as well um, and then obviously like I said there's also that option of doing something like an episiotomy which is a tear where they cut you essentially to the right through your tissue um, your vaginal tissue so that you're at less risk of if you are going to tear and you're at a higher risk of tearing that that tear goes into the muscle tissue towards the right rather than tearing from the vagina down to the anus which is what we're trying to avoid with an uncontrolled tear. My gosh. Yeah, what are the, I mean, given you've said all that, like what are some of the misconceptions you think um, are kind of associated with pelvic health Mm. and like what, how, yeah, I think you've pretty much covered how important it is for women to be aware of pelvic health and the fact that there is a pelvic health physiotherapist, but what do you think are like the misconceptions out there? about your your occupation yeah so i think um within sort of pelvic health women's health one of the greatest misconceptions is that it's normal 
Um, and I think with a lot of these conditions that women experience, whether it's painful periods, whether it's leaking after having a baby, whether it's oh, every time I cough and sneeze or jump or run, I can't do that anymore. I can do it, but I just got to wear a liner now for the rest of my life because I'm just going to leak now because that's part of having children. Um, you know, I think that's the greatest misconception is just because a lot of these things are common doesn't mean that it's normal. So just because you and your friend and your mother experienced this and your grandmother experienced it, it's just a part of giving, you know, having children. Um, I think that's probably the greatest misconception is that it's normalised and then on top of that there's nothing that you can do about it um, and you just sort of have to live with it. And I think that's probably the biggest thing it's also I think one of the greatest barriers for people seeking help is if you don't think it's a problem you're mm. not going to look for the help yeah mm. definitely and I think um I mean I, you're Eritrean background I believe yeah yeah African, and we, we come from like I think relatively conservative communities all of us um do you find any kind of hesitation or stigma around some of the health issues that you deal with in your clients or patients yeah Absolutely. And I think another misconception is that we think that because we come from sort of, um, you know, ethnic backgrounds, African backgrounds, a lot of these topics are taboo. Um, we also, it's actually still a little bit taboo in sort of, um, you know, in greater, greater Australian um, cultures as well. Like we don't talk that much about periods. Maybe now we're sort of starting to acknowledge, um, you know, things like periods, endometriosis, a lot of these sort of very debilitating things that women experience. And even recently there's more stuff coming out there around sort of, um, you know, birth trauma and things like that. But it's just the conversation is happening this year. You know, we're 20, it's 2021 and the conversations just started in Australia. So I think, you know, um, as a community and as a culture, while we might think we have a really long way to go, we're not really far behind what's happening now. We've, you know, we're having these conversations and um, with each other, with our friends, with our parents in our houses. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's probably not that much taboo than it is in the general Australian sort of population. Um, when you meet women, um, what are the things that they say that are really surprising to you, that they, things that they just don't even know about? Mm. Like anatomy? Or- um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the craziest thing to me is the fact that I have friends who have had children and had never actually looked at their vagina in their life. They don't know what it looks like outside, let alone what it looks like inside. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably the thing that shocks me the most is how many women just have no idea about um about their own anatomy um and their own um their own pelvic floor you know they don't know how it works I think the other thing that's really shocks me is how many bad toileting habits we have as a society um and it has you know you elaborate I feel like all your ears and eyes are sort of going everywhere thinking what is going on but I mean like small things like people that don't realize that constipation is not a normal state for your bowels (laughs) not be constipated like that it's like oh you know like that's because that's one thing that you know I'll spend a lot of time with a lot of my patients talking about their toileting habits with anyone that comes through the or whether they're a pelvic pain patient, whether they're coming in postnatally during their pregnancy, whether they're coming in for sort of leaking of urine, whatever it is, I spend a lot of time finding out about um, people's sort of bladder, I mean, their bowel habits, um, because your bowels have probably the number one impact on your pelvic floor function.
function and your bladder function. So if you don't sort out what's going on in the toilet, um, you are not going to get anywhere with your treatment. You might get somewhere, but it, but you will never fully resolve a lot of your issues because you can imagine how much space the intestines take in your abdomen and in your body yeah. when yeah. they're not functioning well. The pressure that builds up in our abdomen and on our pelvic floor is extreme. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You know, people that don't realize or don't know what their poo actually looks like. It's like, that tells you a lot about your gut health. Like yeah. a lot of people don't look in the toilet, yeah. you know, and that really surprises me because I'm, you know, there's a lot of information in there. <laughs> so, um, my mom has always been hell bent on me being regular and like asking me what my poo looks <laughs> like. I'm like, woman, like, why are you always in? She's like, is it like pebbles or is it like I'm like, babes, babes, babes. When I was young, I didn't understand. How did she know like what Oh, well, she for? comes from a health background, background as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but um, my mom's always been a very big, like, um, regular poo, like, you know, advocate. She's just like, ah, you don't poo two times a day. What? What's normal? What is normal? What yeah. Is normal? So I was just going to ask, what is normal? Does it vary from mm. person to person or no, not really? So generally there's a range that's given. And while I not don't necessarily agree with this range, actually, um, they say that anything from three times a day to three times a week, which I think is ridiculous because I think that, you know, if you're going to the toilet three times a week, that's generally not a very healthy bowel. But ideally you want to be going at least once a day. Um, um, but it's not just about they want to make sure that you're not straining when you're on the toilet. You want to make sure that you're complete, yeah, you're, that you're completely emptying every time you go, so you don't feel like you've gone and you've still got some left. Yeah, yeah. Um, you For me, it is. But yeah, and you know, one of the things we talk about, we've spoken about at work is this concept of excessive wiping and how much wiping is too much wiping. Oh, um, no, no, no. Okay, we need to elaborate because yeah. you, in my household, you needed to wipe, wipe, wipe until it was clean, clean. until there was no, yeah. no remnants from the tissues. Yeah, yeah. And, and in all fairness, you definitely want to wipe until you're clean. But if you're wiping 12 times to get there, we're thinking what's going on with the consistency of your poo that you need to wipe 12 times? So, and I think that's sort of an indicator of, you know, potentially someone whose stool needs to be bulked up because it's the opposite of constipated. It's probably a bit too smooth. And so really you should be in a really sort of medium point where it's like solid enough, but um, but also, you know, you don't so want it's like to a clean cut. So when it comes out, it's yeah. kind of like the yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you sound like you've got pretty healthy bowels because you yeah. know what I'm talking about. But but basically you ideally want it to come in a relatively one size piece rather than it sort of um coming in lots of different pieces and that sort of thing. But yeah, super important to look in the bowl every now and then and just check on your and bowel also, function. Also monitor like when you're going. Does that matter as well? No got a different routine so I think that's not too big of a deal you know some it just depends on your own routine the type of diet you have when you go um but yeah but it's just that you know as long as you've got a nice consistent routine you're going about every day but also every day that you are going you feel like you've emptied because you can go every day and never feel satisfied by your poo so you want to feel satisfied afterwards like I'm actually finish. like jealous of it there's lots of people I know that'll be like yeah I poo at this time every morning and it's like the same yeah. routine every morning you asked yeah. me when I went to the toilet. I can't even tell you. Like, I, just, <laughs> I don't 
notice of it, but I'm I'm pretty bad with stuff like that. One thing for me, and I think that is quite common, is just like uh, period pain. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that you could go to a um, per- pelvic health physiotherapist for that. As I said, I find GPs are pretty rubbish these days, or I'm just going to really bad ones. Yeah, yeah there are already, some. I'm already established. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think I am because it's, I've had really bad period pain since 15 and they just put me on the pill I've been on it since that age um but it seems to be like reverting back so it was fine for a period of time and I remember just last week or something I messaged Gillian and I was before that week before and I was like literally felt like I was gonna die I wasn't on my period but it felt like ovulation pain Mm. so it was like what the whole month I'm just gonna be in pain like give me a break so I had my period and then the ovulation pain I just felt really really sick um, I went to the doctors to say, like, I feel like my period pain is is come is getting worse again. They didn't really say much, bro. Like, <laughs> they just touched it and did some stuff, <laughs> and they're like, oh, just mon- every time monitor if it gets worse, come back. But no like, ultrasound. I don't, yeah, they booked me in for an oh, ultrasound. Yeah. I haven't gone yet. Um, and they gave me a referral to a specialist, a gut gynecologist. Yeah. Um, yeah. haven't gone yet because public health, you know, takes takes a while. Um, but what type of tips or any recommendations you you mm. have for people that do suffer from, I know there's a name for it, I don't know how to say it, I don't know what it is, but suffer from really bad period pain? Yeah, so basically with anyone that experiences a lot of period pain, and I think it's important to sort of, you know, a lot of people experience some sort of pain on their period. I think a few things that sort of um, important to do is, um probably look for a gp that's going to listen mm-hmm. and potentially has experience with um you know treating people with sort of similar symptoms or any type of sort of um pelvic health issues um because i think the first thing is, is you need a doctor that's going to listen to you and validate your experience and i think it's just not good enough to say that all, all women experience pain on their period um so i think that's the first thing that i'll always recommend someone because with anyone that has any sort of extreme pain around that pelvic region you want a team around you to support you so your pelvic floor physio and your pelvic health physio is not going to be the only person that's part of your team to help manage you so your gynecologist is absolutely the right person to sort of go and seek help from because that's exactly what they sort of manage um, as well in terms of finding out what medications you might need to help but anyone that's experiencing any sort of pain during their period and will always recommend movement and exercise gentle movement and exercise and you probably hear it all the time and it sounds super counterproductive because you're like (laughs) The last thing I want to do is get out of bed and leave my heat pack. But, you know, if you can catch whatever energy you have, whenever you have it to try and just factor in, whether it's walking, whether it's gentle yoga, even if it's just stretching and deep breathing, just some sort of movement to sort of tune into your body a little bit can often um, help with pain. That's that's sort of treatment for anyone with any type of pelvic pain. Um, you know, abdominal massage is another great one. So massaging through the abdominal region as well. Um but yeah, absolutely. Sort of finding out what is going on with that, um, with that pain, because there might be something else a little bit more sinister that's causing it as well. Making sure that you're having all the appropriate investigations. Um, so many women go undiagnosed with um, endometriosis and yeah. polycystic ovaries, and you know, um, and polycystic ovary syndrome and all sorts of stuff. So it is really important that you're sort of, um, you know, getting that person in your corner that's going to support you and advocate for you as well, and and sort of constantly knock on the doors of specialists and doctors to try and get you the help that you need wow that's really good thank you so much um well just um switching gears a little bit 
Um, I know that um, you have like, like I said before, you have um, an Instagram page, Yoni. Mm. So how did you get started on that? And, and why did you feel the need to kind of like, yeah, have that Instagram page with that kind of content? So I think the main thing really was just that I really was looking for a bit of a creative outlet. I think sometimes when you're working in healthcare, you sort of, um, you know, it's, it's great and it's, you know, you're seeing your patients and they definitely give you a lot back, but you don't really get to be creative in your role. Um, and so I think one thing that I really was looking for is just a, something that I can do that's a little bit more creative outside of just my, you know, sort of daily job. Um, and then, yeah, I just felt like there was, a you know, an intersection between that creativity and, and the education the information that I wanted to get out there. Um, yeah. So I sort of just jumped into that and, and started sort of creating content, just trying to get information out to the community that I really wanted to serve that's beautiful I actually have another personal question sorry <laughs> I have a toddler and I'm going to start toilet training him soon and you did mention that um you know toilet training is one of the reasons why we could come and see you but when would as a parent would I be concerned to kind of refer my toddler to um you know a pelvic health physiotherapist is it like after a week when I'm like oh you're just not so there might be a lot of different reasons you might just be going to see someone because you just want some more techniques and tactics that you might not realize um available to you um in terms of toilet training um and you know that's not necessarily a problem it's just that you're looking for some guidance and some sort of support with doing that um but generally you know in terms of when you'd go uh when you're noticing problems with their you know, you're trying to toilet train them, you're going for months, there's no progress. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of the child being ready and that's okay. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, it's really just about making sure that the parent is reassured that they're doing everything right and, and nothing that you're doing is wrong. I think that's a really important part of a lot of what we do, particularly with the work with, um, with parents is just giving them that support and reassurance. Um, but I think really with any type of toilet training, you sort of just want to be toilet trained by the time you're school aged because yeah. um, that's when you are going to be needing to go to the toilet and so it's really um, a mixture of the parents preferences of when they feel it's time for their child to do it but also some parents might just wait for their child as well to be ready to do it as you know at their own time if there's no reason for them to be trained at a specific time so I think it's um, not necessarily always um, there has to be a problem or it's um, but other times then you have children that have you know that uh, special needs and you know have a lot of issues with going to the toilet and fear around going to the toilet mm. um as well and so there's definitely help out there too oh wow that's really good thank you do you find that some of the issues that you treat or help manage are intertwined with psychological issues like kids going to the toilet um sexual health like a lot of the time pain during sex women is tired with sex and how do you approach that while maintaining the pain it might be a psychological thing yeah, absolutely. I think as well, one area that I probably didn't mention earlier is there's a lot of people that have experienced sexual abuse that see pelvic floor physios because, you know, any type of trauma, whether it's physical or emotional, can have a massive impact on your relationship with sort of your vagina, with sort of your pelvic area. Um, and so absolutely a massive element for a lot of what we do. You know, you can imagine anyone that's experienced any incontinence, there's a lot of anxiety. And actually one of the greatest things, particularly with anyone that 
has a lot of urgency. So lots of people that are bust, always sort of a bustling to the toilet, might leak on their way to the toilet, that sort of thing. A big part of it is managing their anxieties. Um, and so I think there are different ways that we do that. The number one thing I that will often incorporate is lots of um, management and coping strategies um, that the client um, might need to help sort of reduce any of those anxieties around anything related to their pelvic health. Um, but then the other really important thing is incorporating a multidisciplinary team as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to acknowledge and realize when you as a health practitioner's skills are limited and there's someone else that might be better at helping to facilitate your patient's recovery and being able to work with their other healthcare providers to sort of achieve that as well. Um, but absolutely lots of mindfulness, lots of, um, you know, deep breathing exercises are a big part of what we do as well. I wish there was a, a you in Sydney that we already knew about. Oh, do you have ask. a network? Yeah, yeah like, do you have anyone that you can yeah. refer, like even in yeah, or something that we can kind of put out Stop. to our network? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So much so the patient, yeah, first- that- we're aware of. Yeah. So there are definitely lots of um, pelvic health physios in Melbourne. One of the ones that um, I know is the pelvic health expert. You can look her up on Instagram, who's really incredible, who's one of the women that inspired me to do what I want to do. Um, and then, but also you can just jump online. Um, there's a website called the Women's Health Training Association, WHTA. And on there, um, through that organization, they train a lot of physios to become pelvic health physios. So they actually have a register on there of um, pelvic health trained physios that you can look up um, by your state that you're in or you can just google pelvic health physios in my area. Um, I think it's really important whenever you do call up though to really question whether they are just a women's health physio, are they a pelvic health physio, are they a general physio, what do they actually practice because physio is so broad and you can just go to any physio down the road and they'll treat women's health but what they mean by that is often that they'll do exercises with you, they'll help with your pain during your pregnancy and postnatally but they don't necessarily do everything that a pelvic health physio is equipped to do which definitely includes internal vaginal examinations if that's something that you need as an assessment so it's really important to just wherever you call up or find to make sure that you question them and make sure they're able to service what you're looking for um do you know of any sisters who do the same thing in other states um to be honest i'm not too aware of um any outside of sort of melbourne and sydney um but yeah you can definitely like i said absolutely look up um that sort of website whta women's health training association they'll have a directory around sort of um yeah yeah around australia cool perfect wow just as a wrap up what are like five general women's health tips you would give just general overview because I remember I was talking to a friend in the US and she was I think it was talking about the period pain thing again and she's like you haven't been to a gynecologist and I've actually never have and she was like that should be like a yearly thing that you should be doing and I think I asked you guys and you guys were like nah I don't think it's meant to be a yearly checkup you just thought it was like a, a GP checkup that you should just generally do right mm, but yeah. what what are just five general tips that you would give women yeah so I think the first thing is for those um women that have had um bubs is 
get a six-week postnatal check with a pelvic physiotherapist. It is different from your six-week check with your GP. Um, It's a lot more thorough. It involves an internal vaginal examination if that's something you're comfortable with. It's a full assessment of your your DRAM, so that abdominal separation. You'll get exercises. Um, Any issues that come up will be addressed. So that's the first sort of tip that I would give um, anyone. The second tip that I would say is drink lots of water or fluids in general, but water, like your mama said, like everyone tells you is drink water. It helps with your bladder function and most importantly, it helps keep your stools um, soft and healthy. Um, Usually that's the number one thing that's lacking with anyone that's experiencing constipation is they probably don't drink enough water. So that's super important to keep your fluids up. Um, the third point that I would say is do not strain on the toilet. So do not push. If you need to push on the toilet, there is either issues with your actual stool. So you're either constipated, you might have issues with your actual pelvic floor and you're not able to relax it enough. So you're having to push the stool out. So really important that if you are pushing on the toilet, Um, first check that you're not constipated and if you aren't and you're still a pusher then get that checked because pushing on the toilet um, has and can cause a prolapse even if you haven't had children and I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of damage you can do to your body from chronic um, constipation and chronic straining on the toilet so sometimes I'm probably I'm in labor (laughs) (laughs) you know what though I realized that the only, well, usually I'm pretty like, you know, I sit in and just, you know, slides out. But if I'm pushing, it's usually because of my diet. Yeah. Like I've been eating rubbish. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Too much salt. Definitely. Something like really yeah. green, or dry, something, like yeah. lots of bread and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So if right. that's happening often, if it happens every now and then because, you know, you just, you had a bad cheat meal and, and that's fine. But if it's something that's regularly happening, you need to find out what's going on with your diet Um, because that shouldn't be happening all the time. So that would be the third thing that I would probably say. Um, The other two tips that I would give um, is, geez, I definitely could have thought about these (laughs) (laughs) beforehand. But I guess the other two things that I would probably, or that at least I see quite often, um, is that it's never too late. To get help and don't wait until as much as you can don't wait until you get to a point where um you feel that there's no hope because there's always something that can be done and that goes for anything to do with your health but particularly with your pelvic health because so many things can one be prevented from getting worse um as well as um can be treated perfectly fine um and then the third thing Last main thing. tip that I would give. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I've done well to come up with <laughs> four on the spot. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, what would the fifth one be? I'm just trying to think what I see a lot of um, with my patients. Um, I guess the fifth one would actually be teach your kids, teach the people around you. Like when you're young, like learn about how you should be going to the toilet properly. Like if I had been taught when I was a child that not to push on the toilet, then I would have known that for the rest of my life or I've known what good bowel habits are or, you know, how, you know, to make sure that I'm not holding. That's the other one, ladies. Don't hold, particularly if you need to do a number two, 
just do it, number two. Because with your body, if you're holding it, the urge will go away. And oftentimes that's when you'll also become more constipated because you just haven't let it out when you needed to let it out. So um, that would probably be my fifth my fifth point or my sixth one is don't hold when you need to go. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but I think yeah, if we can just get that education early um, with, you know, with kids and with the next generation, hopefully then um, a lot of this stuff will be catched quite early and a lot of people won't be suffering for as long as they often do. Wow. Just wowed all of us. Yeah, Honestly, seriously. the amount of information you've just given from this one hour chat is incredible. And um, it's just such a privilege to kind of have this kind of access mm, yeah, to definitely. you. Um, and yeah, hopefully people will learn a lot from this episode and also learn a lot more from their bodies and now have the tools to kind of mm. be bold and now go out and fight for what they, they need for themselves. Cause like you say, you need to be your own advocate, advocate yeah, which sure. I think is a really good takeaway because otherwise we wouldn't have known yeah. any of this at all. At all. So thank, thank you, so you for what much. you're doing. Yeah, definitely, you guys. Oh, welcome. It's been a pleasure. Um, before we let you go, please plug yourself, drop any places we can contact you, what services you offer so people can get, get a hold of you. Yeah, so the easiest way to get in touch is probably um, either through Instagram and it's at Yoni, Y-O-N-I underscore wellbeing. Um, otherwise, I'm also reachable by email through contact at yoniwellbeing.com. Um, so they're probably the easiest ways to get in touch. But, um, yeah, go see your nearest pelvic floor physio. Definitely, <laughs> we'll get on that. Yeah. yeah. researching after we yeah. leave. Yeah. Right. I'm even booking <laughs> what was that sorry sorry do you do online consults or anything like that or no? I do so I run um I do online consults and I also run workshops um as well so that's one of the other things that sort of um is the reason why I studied Yoni or started I should say Yoni Wellbeing is um just so that I can run education workshops um for people to get that information out there um as well so yeah Okay. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Stay safe out in those Melbourne streets as well. Stay uh, safe. Always. <laughs> well, we don't really leave our houses, so we're pretty safe. <laughs> how are you staying occupied? Well, how have I stayed occupied? To be honest, I have caught up on a lot of work that I've been behind in for the last few months, so it's been really productive. Um and yeah, just walking. That's pretty much it. That's all I can do outside. So um, walk, walk, walk. Well, that's size at least. Yeah, definitely. yeah. All right. Once again, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, you can find us at fulfillmentofgmail.com uh, if you want to email us or have any inquiries. Mm-hmm. Stay safe and see you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much thanks for that. So much. That was Thank so you. good. It's Mary, and for this episode's Black Excellence, we'll be shouting out Melbourne-based floral enterprise, The Beautiful Bunch. The Beautiful Bunch deliver gorgeous floral arrangements each day across Melbourne. All of their bouquets have a feeling of abundance and are inspired by the grace, charm and beauty of a cottage garden. They minimise waste by offering one seasonal bouquet each day using locally grown flowers in 100% biodegradable packaging. 
the flowers you purchase from the beautiful bunch also have the added bonus of providing training and employment to young women from refugee backgrounds. So if you're a Melbourneian who wants to gift a special someone with flowers, or even just treat yourself, head to www.thebeautifulbunch.com and check out their options. Yeah.